Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the True Story FM Entertainment Podcast Network. And I'm Pete Wright, and it's time for another classic Coulson rug pull. <laughs> oh, today we are talking about Minute 87, which begins with a somewhat peaceful New Jersey field and ends with Iron Man spinning the turbine. Back on the show, we have playwright Dean O'Carroll. Hello, Dean. Hey, happy to be back for more merriment. More merriment, absolutely. Uh, we start, I mean, very brief thing here at the start of this with the, the fields of New Jersey as Thor kind of settles, and uh, that's pretty much it for him. And then we jump back inside the helicarrier as we see Loki's reaction to all of this. Uh, I mean, how does, uh, what do you think of Tom Hiddleston as Loki? Do you like him in this role? Oh, phenomenal! Yeah, no, he's he's, he's one of the uh, the absolute best. Uh, yeah, of uh, yeah, a big uh, big Kilson fan and a big Loki fan. I, I love yeah, I, I love the character in all his sort of stages as as he sort of you know uh, grows and learns, um, and and you really you see the potential for all of it. And I'm I I love that we we still get more Loki even after he's, you know, he, he died for, well, for the third time um, in, uh, in Endgame. Uh, and then, uh, uh, and then we, uh, but he still managed to be back, but we get this reset of, we get, uh, you know, Loki uh, starting from the end of, uh, of the first Avengers to, uh, to, to begin his journey. And what Coulson says to him is paralleled by something that, uh, that Owen Wilson says to him in, in the Loki show, you know, Coulson says losing is in your nature. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't remember the exact line that uh, that Mobius says, but it's something along the lines of, no, your, your goal is to sort of, you know, be an obstacle that people have to overcome in order to find out more about themselves, you know, to sort of, you know, find their own true nature. It's like, wow, yeah, that is Loki's role uh, in these in these movies. And, you know, he's, yeah, uh, uh, he, that's exactly what he is. Um, only in the first four does he really even get to be the, the main villain, you know, even in this, you know, even though you don't learn it to the end, you know, he's working for somebody uh, as cool as he is. He's a stooge, uh, which is, uh, you know, something that makes a little more sympathetic. And uh, yeah, and Hiddleston just pulls it off with, with such panache. Um, <laughs> my kids always watching all these, uh, these Simpson shorts. There's, there's at least two or three of them now that include him as, as Loki, uh, you know, messing around with the Simpsons in, in one way or another. That's funny. And, uh, <laughs> it's like, I, I think he, I think he really likes any opportunity to play this character. Well, he's just really good at it. And then once they figured out how to use him, right, he just, he's kind of indispensable as a utility player, right? He can cross over so many different Avengers storylines in so many different uh, places now that we've introduced variants and and backdoors and all of the wonderful things that he's capable of. I just think he's an incredibly useful character and Hiddleston is so likable. It's hard to imagine it's hard to imagine the time when he's going to retire the character. Yeah. And I will love it when, you know, whatever it happens, if it's in, you know, uh, Kang Dynasty or, or Secret War, when finally, you know, the, the, the rest of the Avengers, you know, whoever they are, you know, meet the, uh, the, you know, the resurrected yet again, uh, Loki and, you know, how much of that, you know, uh, you know, what's Thor's reaction going to be? What's, you know, everybody else who, who knew him from, from way back when, what's their reaction going to be? Because, you know, Thor and Hulk were on pretty good terms with him by the end of uh, uh, by the end of things. Uh, so sure. maybe they'll be like, "Oh, hey, good, I'm glad you're alive." Like, "Oh, but wait, you're not actually that one. You're the uh, 
the one who we just, you know, who, who almost just murdered us all. Right. And I mean, as, as we've talked about in the show, you know, uh, uh, you know, Natasha mentions, well, he killed 80 people earlier, and then he almost killed this old German man to make a, a, a statement. So he's kind of a he's kind of a villain. I mean, he really is. Uh, so it's funny that we all love him so much. But I mean, I guess this is the the magic of of the way that uh, storytellers craft characters where it's like, yeah, but, you know, he's so likable and this actor plays him so well. It's hard to it's easy to forget those parts. Well, this is this uh, this conversation where Colson, as you as you brought up, does have this uh, essentially this final opportunity to poke at Loki and really kind of push at him in a way where you know kind of push some buttons of his. And we don't often see Loki's buttons getting pushed so much. And it's interesting because uh, you know Colson's initial the comments that he has you're going to lose it's in your nature it doesn't seem to bother Loki at all and and in fact Loki retorts to him your heroes are scattered your floating fortress falls from the sky where is my disadvantage it's not until Colson says you lack conviction that it seems to kind of hit Loki uh, in a way that it actually did kind of affect him do you think that that uh, works for the, the this conversation here and the way that Coulson's approaching it? it it's fascinating. And I, I, I turn it over in my head like, is that true? Does, does he lack conviction? I mean, because, <laughs> you know, he's it's a guy who has like a, 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 he's like a pre-written speech about what he wants to do and why he wants to do it. You know, he's, he's very, you know, quite clear about what his goals are and what he, you know, what he sees as, you know, his plan for humanity and, and for the planet Earth. But Coulson sees through that, you know, it's, he he says those things as much to convince himself as to actually present it. That you know, it's not exactly that he thinks he deserves to be a king. It's that he he wants to prove to himself that he deserves to be a king uh, to justify his own talk. There's a I used to work at a, a, a when I did stand up comedy something I would perform at a, a club in the in the Boston area. Um, it was in Cambridge. It was in it was in Harvard Square, and the um, the host loved to tell a story about uh, uh, a guy who was you know was doing very hacky material, and it wasn't uh, and it wasn't going very well. And the uh, woman in the audience was just giving him you know like they dirty looks, just you know the sort of you know upset face. He said, "Hey, what's up with you, lady? What's wrong with you?" And she said, "Well, I feel you could struggle for more." Uh, you could, you, I, feel you could, I, I feel you could strive for more. Uh, and he said, yeah, that, that's a Harvard Square heckle. That's you know, like, we're just disappointed in you. It's that kind of killing, you know, like that, you know, getting something with something like that is, uh, is, is such a great moment. Oh, God, it's like my mother was there. Yeah. Crazy. Oh, too funny. It's, I mean, I find it to be such an interesting thing to hit. Because, I mean, I ask myself the same question. is like, does Loki, does he lack conviction? Like, it's an interesting thing to say. Obviously, it kind of hits Loki in a way that is a bit of a surprise. But it does make me wonder if there is this element of, um, not that Coulson necessarily even knows any of this, but the fact that Loki isn't even here on his own to do this, but basically had to get help from as it turns out, Thanos and the other, and is using their their tools to do all of this stuff, it does make me wonder if there's an aspect of him, just like he always feels with Thor, that he isn't, he's always seen as as kind of the, the second brother. You know, he's never seen as, as, uh, as prominent or important a brother as Thor. And here it's like, 
I don't even get to be the real villain of the film. I have yeah. to be the, the kind of the sub villain because there's this bigger villain that I have to work for to make all this happen. And it does make me wonder if that's the angle that when, when Loki hears this, it hits him. Yeah. I think that's a, just such a lovely, like a, a lovely continuation of that line, that family line that we actually get to, you know, to, to watch that dynamic played out all the time, whether they're on screen fighting with one another or not, like it's just something they never stop dealing with. And I, that's I think that's important for just general development. And and that Thor, you know, Ford does love Loki and does cherish him and, you know, and values him, you know, yes, as my brother and the one who's not going to get to be king. But and a part of that is Thor being arrogant. And that's all of it that Loki sees. But part of it is is also that, you know, like, you, you've, I, I've grown up with you and you've meant so much to me. And we get, the, there was that very fun uh, what if episode of what if Thor was an only child. And you see that the you know, only child Thor is this is this spoiled brat with no sense of, uh, of, uh, of responsibility. And like, you're like, oh, yeah, because, you know, because Thor knows how important Loki is to him. That's not enough for Loki. And Loki can only see that as Thor being selfish and arrogant when it's, it's actually kind of the opposite of that. It's actually like, you know, I, I am who I am partly because of you. And, th- and that's why I, I value you. It, it's a, it's a good dynamic uh, that, uh, that I think that they play out very well. Yeah, for sure. Does Coulson, is he doing this purposefully because he's trying to distract him long enough to get the gun ready? You think? Sure. Um, you know, and also because it's something that he thinks needs ought to be said. Sure, 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 sure. It was one of those things where I'm like, it's like he's giving himself enough time to maybe get his finger on the trigger, you know? Yeah, <laughs> right. Which is probably fine, but also he gets a moment, and this is like this is some of that Tignataro dialogue, and the fact that it's the rug pull too. Like that's part of the dialogue is the joke that he doesn't even get to finish the sentence because he's been shot. And I love it. Like I, I just, it, it breaks me a little bit because it's such a good emotional hit for me that I just like, why, why does he have that such a, an innate sense of, of, of playing the joke and playing the timing. Like it just, it just works perfectly. It's interesting because, you know, in the other things, the other times when, you know, when Tig uh, has done things like this with, uh, with, with characters, you know, uh, getting this, this kind of a, a death, mostly to motivate uh, other characters, but also, you know, sometimes with a, a moment of coolness to it, there were his own creations that, uh, you know, this time he's playing with somebody else's toys um, and, uh, and, and breaking them. And, um, uh, but it, it works well, fits the mold. I mean, maybe because we're all playing with archetypes and, you know, uh, and, and, and tropes and so on, which is fine. I'm, I, you know, that's, that's what exactly what this sort of uh, uh, movie should be full of, but yeah, but it is interesting that, uh, you know, he doesn't, you know, have to have been, you know, something that he had planned all along to be like this. He could also just sort of like, like, and here's what I'll do with this action figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. 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 So this gun is called the Destroyer Armor Prototype Gun. Not a very exciting name, but the nickname is more familiar to people probably who watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. This is the Bambino, uh, which certainly is used a number of times over the course of that show. And according to the Marvel Wiki, this was actually made out of the Destroyer's body and then designed by a group of S.H.I.E.L.D. scientists. My only question is if they used uh, Destroyer 
parts and technologies to make it. When it blasts, why is the blast not more destroyer-like, which had a very specific blast. And I really loved the way that the destroyer uh, would shoot those like those blasts of fire out of its face. It was very exciting. Um, but it's still cool. It's actually taken from like the exhaust of the destroyer. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. <laughs> right, right. This is the back end. Yeah. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> okay, so then as far as this goes, uh, we see this hit, which is a hell of a hit. Uh, I mean, this blast that that um, that Coulson hits uh, Loki with sends him through the wall. And I mean, it's a, like a scorching fireball, and it really kind of seems to hit Loki. He's down. He's not out. We will see more of Loki um, later. But this is—I uh, mean—that that was a—that was a great blast. I, I, it was impressive to see. And in the scope of things, it is one of those things where you would imagine that it does quite a bit of damage. But again, he's hitting it as a guardian. But it does let us have one last comedy beat from Coulson right here. Yeah, that's really it. Timed perfectly. So that's what it does. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we cut from this. Now we jump back into the bridge. Now I have a question for you. All of this time, the helicarrier has been dropping. It's been listing through the sky as we have two engines down now. The only place, though, that we ever see people reacting to the fact that the the whole ship is kind of plummeting down and listing and, and tipping back and forth is the bridge. Does it ever strike you as you're watching any of these scenes of Barton and uh, Natasha fighting or of everything going on here that none of these people are reacting to the fact that this ship is list- listing side to side and falling from the sky? Well, there's a generalized sense of panic, I'd say. Right. I mean, they're not not in the bridge. But like, I mean, when you see Coulson and Loki, do you think there's a general sense of panic there? That's what I'm saying. No, and and the camera goes still, right? Like, That's what I'm we saying. Don't, right? Yeah, like, there's know, no listing. That's what you're saying. Like no we don't listing. have that scene with Loki, you know, leaning back and forth to kind of like handle the the shifting of the ship. Well, dang it, Andy! I never thought of it before. Now. Yeah, I mean that's that's I think you know when you look at minute by minute, you know you're more likely to think of that when you're when you're in the moment. It's uh, it's not going to bother you. I mean, it's true. I mean, would we have gained anything if they were doing that? Would it have you know would it have helped in any way? Uh, or if they had contrived a way to to explain it or to compartmentalize it in some other way? I don't know. That's what we're here for, and I'll tell you how it is because that entire space is on a giant gimbal. <laughs> and so it's auto leveling, Andy, and I just want to make sure that that's okay. They're all on the gyroscope deck, to uh, That's right. It's the yeah. gyroscope deck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, more no prizes to give out. Yep. You know, <laughs> yep. I I think that it's fine. It is it, it is a cinematic tool for sure. It's something where if we're not seeing it because we're not in the bridge, then it's okay. We're not necessarily having to to kind of continue that part of the story thread unless we get back to that particular place. Unless it's one of those things that's going to affect everybody. Like when we see an explosion go off and suddenly the entire ship shakes and then we cut in and we see somebody. But we're not, we're here in these scenes specifically to have these conversations. And so I think that they're designing it in a way where uh, we're not meant to be thinking about these things at those points and so again it is only the movie by minute format where you really are wondering like why is nobody reacting to the fact that this ship is falling out of the sky until we get to the bridge and that's where we are right now 
So we see Nick Fury here um, looking at his screen. On his screen, we have a few things. IPX Isopod Containment Status Systems Active, which is, of course, the pod where Thor just dropped from. So I, I don't know. I was, is that, when it says it's active, is that Fury's note that it has, in fact, been dropped? And, Deployed? Yeah. I don't know. Or is it just the sensor that says the containment itself has not been breached? Whether or not it's in the ship doesn't matter. Is it still sealed? It doesn't mean that the actual captive is active, does it? Doesn't the doesn't it's not sort of essentially you know saying that the captive has not been killed by it? That would be an odd way to phrase it if it was. That would be a very odd way to phrase it. I yeah, think. yeah. I, I don't know. I have a hard time gauging like what he's actually reading with that. Like, is it just that it's uh, that it's uh, been deployed, that it has fallen out of the ship, that it, the door is locked. I mean, who knows? There are a million things that it could yeah. potentially mean. But I, I, I wish that I had a better sense, like, oh, Fury has now realized that somebody's been dropped out of the bottom of the ship. Like, I wish, I, I would imagine that he would want to know if somebody has done that. Yeah. We also hear over the uh, the intercom, all hands to crash stations immediately, which I suppose is the thing that happens on ships. But in a situation like this, I kept wondering, if they're on a giant flying uh, ship like this, uh, wouldn't it make more sense, I mean, Hydra certainly thought of it, to have a whole bunch of, like, drop ships so that everybody could run and hop on a drop ship and, uh, and escape instead of just going to their crash stations? That's actually what's really interesting. They have built a jail cell that they can eject out of the ship. But what about <laughs> eject safety pods that right. they can eject? Right. And I, I also wonder, is there any like civilian staff on this? You know, is it is it everyone here, an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. who's, who's working on it? Is there like a cafeteria staff? Is there, you exactly. Know, yeah. commissary. I'm Marge, agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, what do you do, Marge? <laughs> I, I serve potatoes in the cafeteria. <laughs> I run the register. <laughs> but agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. I am. <laughs> That's fantastic. Evacuate all gift shop staff. <laughs> <laughs> right. We do have a sick bay. Maybe they're, uh, you know, somebody is there selling flowers in their little right. gift shop. Uh, it's very funny. That's funny. So, um, all right. So we see, we get this sense that uh, Fury is trying to figure out what to do at this particular point. And, uh, and then we cut to, you know, he is also on his screen. He's looking at what's going on with the engines. And that, of course, leads us to our cut where we are back with Steve and uh, trying to figure out what's going on with him and Tony as they work on fi fixing the engine. We're at this point where Steve is holding on to the wire or, or the cable, whatever it is that he's kind of clinging to. And I had a question because I'm, I'm trying to figure out the, the way that this shot plays, because as we see the ship uh, we come in on like the the back of the ship, like we're under it and behind it, and we see the engines that are still lit. So I assume that they're still propelling it in some capacity. We come under the engine and we see Steve dangling, you know, towed, you know, directly back away from the engine, which is exactly the opposite way the engines are pushing. So if the engines are in fact working, Steve would be blown back into the area that he's working. Not to mention the fact that it's falling, so he would be he should be getting blown back into the area that he is hanging from and up, as opposed to directly away from it. It's one of those things that, as I was watching this over and over, I'm like, wait a minute, he is. It's like he, it's like he is blowing, um, 
you know, forward from the ship. And it, it doesn't make any sense. Right. Heavy winds, you know. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> hurricane force winds also yeah. happen to be here. You just can't quite tell. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's, you know, effects. It's the world of effects. They're trying to figure out a mi- million things. It's one of those things where they're like, yeah, we want to see him blowing away from it. So it is what it is. Yeah. We've got to make it look yeah. this way. He has to be blowing away. Yeah. You know, there's also, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess. Uh, there his. He, I'm going to stick with heavy winds. I got nothing. I got nothing. It feels like he's he's, he's he's. And then I think in the next minute he's he's blows back the other way, and that feels like a utility move so that he can grab the grate and pull himself back up. So, who knows? It is what it is. We're not going to worry about it too much. So we do know, though, Engine 3 is the one that he and Tony are working on. And Engine 1 has been shut down by uh, by Clint's fancy little um, data arrow. And here we have... So so basically, the way the ship is designed, I'm not exactly sure how they numbered it, but basically, Engine 1 and Engine 3 are, are catacorner from each other. So I guess, in, in, in the scope of a thing with four giant fans on the corners, if the, if the ones opposite each other went out, I suppose, yes, it would probably start dropping. And I'm assuming this is why that they did it this way for story purposes. It's not going to just the whole thing, like, shift to the side and start falling vertically. I guess, I don't know. I right, guess in my head. It'll spin on an axis. <laughs> yeah, but it will stay horizontal, right? Right, right. Here's, here's hoping. I don't even know. This thing is so stupid. <laughs> uh, yeah, what's, what's funny is we do see, uh, as we kind of pan past Steve and we move up and over the helicarrier, we see the Quinjet is fine. It's not budging at all. It's just sitting there. They must have been, you know, I don't know. They they locked it in emergency place. Emergency brake. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the emergency brake. The air brake hmm. is probably suction. It's they're actually yeah. suction cups. We <laughs> <laughs> do see them. Um, the uh, helicarrier first helicarrier first takes off. We do see them like tying down just the the, the planes and stuff, right? So you know, with like you know, cables. But <laughs> so you know that the. Right. Must be some strong cables. But some of the yeah. stuff doesn't obviously get tied down because as we come over, we actually see the helicopter. I'm assuming this is that one helicopter that uh, conveniently also is the same one that Nick was flying earlier in the film that, of course, crashed. So this is the second version, I guess, of this helicopter. But it actually slips off of the upper deck and crashes down onto the deck below as we're kind of looking, uh, as we kind of do this flyover. So not everything got tied down. That poor helicopter is is gone. And uh, I guess... I don't know. I guess that's that's pretty much it for the helicopter. And then we cut to Tony, and he's busy spinning around inside the turbine and uh, doing yeah. his little thing. And I, I love that you know so much of the charm of Robert Downey Jr. Uh, as as uh, as Tony is uh, is his knack for dialogue and his uh, his wit and so on. And so here, me joining you, the first uh, Tony moment I get is him just going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I didn't watch it just that. Maybe think like, boy, do you think that he shot all of his inside the helmet scenes in one day? Because you know, because why not? I mean, maybe he might have needed some like different it. makeup. You know, so oh, yeah. Like, yeah. okay, or Robert, in, in, in this scene, you're uh, you're just pushing something really hard. So just just grunt. They're like, oh, okay, <laughs> okay, <laughs> you got ah! it. Yeah. Yeah. Now list slightly to the left. Yeah. Ah! 
<laughs> it's probably one of those things where he comes back periodically to do another day because they're like, oh, you know what? We had you looking the wrong direction. We need you looking this direction. And it's, you know, I'm sure with the visual visual effects department also with all the stuff they're putting on there, like, well, we need you kind of, your eye needs to be here because we kind of want you looking at this thing in front of your face. And so I would imagine that it's, I'd like to think that it's just one day, but I imagine that Robert Downey Jr. ended up coming in a number of days to do these things. One thing that bothered me sort of in the, the first batch of superhero movies from the, the uh, early uh, 21st century was you know like how often the characters would take off their masks um you know we were constantly seeing Tobey Maguire's face kind of, you know um and you know a- as a comics fan it's like you no know, the, the mask is a part of the look and you know but of course it's like an actor doesn't want to cover the face of the whole movie you know they want people to see that it's them um with you know so huge ups to Peter Pascal for wearing that mask you know in almost every single scene of Middler um you know and also the studios like hey we paid 20 million dollars for this actor we're not uh, <laughs> we want to put their face on screen as, as much as possible um and uh so when they I, when they, they confirm they're going to make an Avengers movie, I'm like, oh, good, maybe we'll see Iron Man in the costume more because with the other actors around, they won't feel the need to keep showing Robert Downey Jr.'s face as much. And then so this way, they're being sort of the compromise that, like, you know, we'll, we will see his face, but it'll, you know, it'll be yeah, people we who have a lot mask. of yeah. in-helmet face. And, and not to, you know, complain too much about later films, but, you know, we've certainly brought it up before where once you get to the nanotech, it's it becomes very easy for them to write the actors in and out of their costumes as needed, right? It's yeah. just like, you know, now you just you push a button and all of this stuff forms around your face um, now that you're done talking and it it's a little much. I definitely prefer like, you know, uh, Dread is always a great example that I go to because mm-hmm. you know, just the way that that played was... So great. Carl Urban, kudos for never taking that thing off. Yeah, Carl Urban willing to do it. The exact opposite of uh, Stallone, who, uh, you know, barely oh, ever right. had him on, right? Yeah. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. The last little note I have for this minute is the uh, the altimeter. First, we see with uh, Fury, his starts around 18,000 and continues dropping, gets to about 17,800. By the time we cut to Tony and we see in his HUD that we are down around uh, 13,000. So this thing, I, you know, it seems like that was just seconds, but I can't imagine it's actually just fell 5,000 feet in the span of those seconds. Otherwise, they're going to hit the Earth very quickly before we uh, get this thing fixed. You think Cap has a dangling problem? If he's falling at that rate, he's not dangling side to side. He's like being thrown up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. very good point. Um, but Again, going to another complaint that we had, if in fact the helicarrier <laughs> is at this point, as it's falling, it's just getting to 18,000 feet. That means there's no way that Clint and his mercenary team could have landed on the helicarrier and walked across it. They would have uh, not been able to breathe and they would have been blown off immediately. Yes. Oh, oh well. We, we stand by that. It's yes, ridiculous. We yes, we do. All right. Well, that is it for Minute 87. Fantastic bit of conversations with you this week, Dean. We'll have you back in a few weeks to talk about uh, Minutes 97 and 98. Uh, But for now, uh, tell everybody again one last time this week about your plays and where they can track them down. Absolutely, yeah. So I write uh, plays that are mostly done by like high school and middle school drama clubs. Uh, They are mostly parodies of pop culture things, including my play Marvelous Squad, 
which is a parody of uh, of uh, most of the first Avengers movies, but a bunch of other MCU stuff. I have another superhero play that is uh, also out there and available for production. Uh, it's it's called. I wrote it um, uh, in like about this time of right April of uh, of twenty twenty, and it's called Superheroes Under Quarantine. Um, and uh, it's uh, it's actually I, I would consider it a pastiche rather than a parody because. Um, the characters, I, I'm not really sort of mocking them. I'm just kind of doing them, uh, maybe slightly broader, slightly more comic. But yeah, it's uh, the uh, the first act is uh, basically there's a, uh, a global pandemic in the DC universe, and the heroes uh, have to only talk to each other via uh, Skype or Zoom to uh, work to work on a case, and it goes from one to another. It's all a series of, of two character scenes, you know, sort of game of telephone, um, and then by the end of the first act, it jumps to the Marvel universe. Uh, the characters all have names like. Red caped hero and nighttime <laughs> hero and uh, you know it patriotic did, yeah. hero and so on. Yeah, none of the names are ever spoken aloud. They just get sure. so 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 covering myself from any uh, uh, <laughs> any legal action. I think um, yeah. So that one is uh, uh, that one is is lots of fun and you know uh, uh, I, I I I like to think and that one I really try to write the characters like um, uh, uh, like the movie version certainly for the for the Marvel characters and that was uh, you know really cool to get to try to do uh, you know the, the Robert Downey you know sort of rhythms and 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 uh, uh, and, and, uh, and uh, you know Tom Holland and and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch you get get those voices uh, in my head that was a, that was a fun exercise to do and you know people don't really want to do plays about uh, quarantine and the pandemics uh, anymore <laughs> it seems maybe we'll uh, hit that well wave of nostalgia for uh, for 2020 oh. at some point and, uh, and that, that play will uh, will start getting produced a lot more uh, I think it, is, uh, uh, it, it is pretty fun and uh, i would just say that in marvelous squad my version of the helicarrier is called the holocarrier because it was uh, named by an agent's uh, daughter on take your daughter to work day um and uh, um, uh yeah, let's see, any other, yeah that's uh, that's the only one i'll drop for now awesome i love i love the whole act of writing plays for a year and a half of time like this is this is funny Right now, kids. <laughs> yeah. We, you know, we, like, we didn't know how long it was going to last. Of you course, because you know that that was totally the first thing got shut down. I was all set to take my kids to see a, a high school production of The Music Man that got canceled. You know, oh, for, yeah, like yeah. one of the first COVID shutdowns in in our neighborhood, um, and uh, and so suddenly every playwright was scrambling to write plays you could perform on Zoom. Yeah. Uh, so I wrote, I wrote superheroes under quarantine. I also wrote Greek gods under quarantine. Um, <laughs> uh, and, uh, uh, and I wrote a, another one that it was, uh, it's a heist comedy, but it's, uh, uh, it's done with like a choose your own adventure type thing. So the audience would vote on, uh, so you'd use like the vote feature on, on, uh, on zoom. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting challenge. Um, and, and I like those, those, uh, the, the things that I turned out and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not sad that the pandemic is sort of over, but I'm, you know, I'm a little sad that, uh, those ones are getting done as often as, uh, yeah. uh as they were for a short spurt there. Oh, wow. That's, that, it's still quite fun. So, so funny. <laughs> Well, check that out. We'll have the links in the show notes for that uh, and, uh, you know, all the other places you can find Dean. So check that out in the show notes, everybody. If you're not seeing them in your uh, podcatcher, just go to our website, marvelmoviemenet.com, and you can find everything there. You can also learn about our membership where you can get early access to shows, ad-free shows, all that good stuff. That's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with another guest to talk about Minute 88. So, Pete, thanks as always. You know what, Andy? Who cares? I don't think they're ever going to fix this stupid <laughs> ship. I think it's done. <laughs> it's on its Put way down. 5,000 yeah. feet in, a, in 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> it's crashing soon. Until next time, true believers. 
Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show.